you know, you can't start a business if you don't know what you're doing. Welcome to the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. The Asian Sewist Collective is a group of Asian people from around the world brought together by our shared appreciation for fiber and textile arts and our desire to see more Asian representation in the sewing community. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of our identities and our shared sewing practice as we create a space for Asian sewists and our allies. I'm your co-host, Ada Chen, and I'm recording from Denver, Colorado. Denver is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. I'm a Taiwanese-American marketer turned entrepreneur, and these days you'll find me running my all-natural skincare business called Chuan's Promise. That's C-H-U-A-N apostrophe S, Promise, and sharing my marketing tips on my blog. Most importantly for this podcast, you can find my sewing at i.hope.sew on Instagram. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. I'm based outside of Chicago, the original homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Odawa people. I'm a Philippine-American woman, a lawyer by day, and a sewing enthusiast the rest of the time. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole Angeline Sews. Before we dive into this week's episode, Nicole, can you tell us about your current sewing project? I can. Remember how when we last spoke, I said I started four things and I haven't, I hadn't finished any one of them. I literally, you paused for so long. I thought you were going to say I can't. (laughs) I always can. But yes, I do remember. that things, that list is up to five now (laughs) because I started a fifth thing. But this one I am seeing through to the end because guess what? It involves a deadline. And uh, it is a camp style shirt that I am pattern testing for Fiber and Cloth Studios by Alexis Bailey. And I really love testing for them and also their their designs. And I recently bought one of their zero waste iris shirt samples, just very much in love with it. So I wanted to uh, dive back into pattern testing, probably because I was like, I'm going to start this and then I don't and then yada yada so I was like okay I'll give myself a deadline and um it's shaping up to be pretty cute so it's a button down short sleeve shirt there are going to be four views it's going to be a shirt length with a sleeveless version and a short sleeve version and then a dress length with the sleeveless version and a short sleeve version you know I've been trying to do a shirt dress yep. listeners probably I know it's like it's a shirt shirt this time because I was like, I don't want to commit to doing anything longer, but it's going to happen. <laughs> it's totally going to happen. And it's actually, um, I'm going making it with this mystery fabric that I got at the AIBI fabric sale in February. And it's going to be perfect for our new mystery fabric content uh, label in our uh, ASC label pack. So I'm pretty excited to finish that up. And it looks like a really clean and, and simple design for a button-down shirt with like an interesting facing. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that's like. And hopefully I can, uh, once I finish it, it'll be ready for me to take on vacation. Nice. I'm glad you're finally making the shirt. <laughs> I was going to get there eventually. I think I started talking about it in season two and we're in season four. But yeah, I have literally been talking about making a shirt dress and I got one fully cut out, even a different pattern. And then I stopped making it. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I'm just in this this weird cycle of making things and not finishing them. What about you? What are you working on? I similarly have lots of projects. I did finish a few of them. So I'm going to quickly list what I finished. (laughs) One is hemming the chiffon, bloody chiffon, of my bridesmaid's dress for a wedding in two weeks. 
with using band roll. So I did listen. Some listeners were like, why are you trying to do this with a rolled foot hem? Just get some band roll. Band roll. Let me tell you, everyone. Band roll is fucking amazing. (laughs) Band roll is the best for a baby hem. And so I hemmed all, I think it was about five yards total of the chiffon and then the poly lining. So that's done. And then I also had a friend come visit who has been interested and actually purchased one of those kits from Alexis of Fiber and Cloth for hand sewing. I told her, hey, you haven't finished your shirt. It's been almost a year. Just bring it and we can finish it on my machine. She forgot her shirt, but I asked her if she wanted to shop my stash. And so we shopped my stash and we made her a her very first shirt because she hadn't finished the one from the set. And it was the Artist Box Top by Taryn Singleton and of artist-made patterns. And then also the Artist Wrap, I think it's called the Artist Wrap Skirt, which I pattern tested about two years ago. And I pattern tested in the wrong fabric because when I was thrifting the fabric, it ended up being (laughs) upholstery fabric and not carbon fabric. And I didn't know better. And doing it again, the box top we made in a thrifted silk, which turned out really nice. And the skirt was a, I think it was a Blackbird Fabrics tensile that I got in my very first order from them. And it's this really nice, like kind of oxblood maroony color. And it's just like together, they kind of give holiday vibes. But separately, I was like, you could wear these all year round because you live in California next to the beach where it's kind of sunny and temperate (laughs) all year. Sounds like a couple of really good versatile pieces. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. I sadly did not have our labels here when we were doing that. And so instead she has some other labels in there. I think one of them has curse words on them. And one of them says something like secret pajamas. And my dog also objects to this as well. He's like, how dare you use other labels? He's like, how dare you use other labels? How dare you use your fabric on somebody else? And my friend was like, I'm going to try to pay you for this. And I was like, don't even because I can't even remember what I paid for this fabric. And clearly I have a problem and need to use this fabric. So I was just happy to like make with her and introduce her to sewing and kind of we'll see where it goes from there. I took my best friend to Frocktails and she knows how to sew on a machine, but she, she hates it. Like she just learned how to do it when she was younger and something that, but she got so inspired by all of the people that were at Frocktails because literally everyone made what they were wearing, which is really cool. So um, she's asked that I teach her how to sew. And she's like, you can tell me what fabric to buy. And I was like, none. You're going to use the stuff from my stash because <laughs> I have so much. It's unbelievable. And she's like, okay. Um, so it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Both of our lives need to slow down a little bit um, to, to make space for that. But uh, she really wants to learn and she's very inspired. So by me. Who wouldn't be? Look at this face. Podcast listeners look at this face. Obviously. Just saying. Um, But yeah, that sounds like, wait, you said you had a list. That was three things. More? I also tried to start sharing a piece of fabric to make a bodice for a dress. And it turns out that my vintage machine is not a fan of the hand wound elastic on my bobbins. So that I got four lines in maybe like a half inch each and it's not going well. So I'm contemplating my <laughs> life choices because <laughs> I wound a lot of bobbins. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I started was I cut out the zero waste 
tiered dress from Brigitte Helmerson. And I didn't get to sew it because I was busy helping my friend sew her stuff. But I am very excited to assemble it because the cutting process on this was actually like quite straightforward, I think, in terms of like a zero waste pattern. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. That's about it. So yes, like most of the projects are finished-ish. Hey, you're the one that said other people are allowed to start projects before they finish other ones. It's okay that we do the same. So, you know. Oh, and I asked my friends if they wanted, if I had so many scraps and here's a secret the listeners will appreciate. I went through my closet and I did a clean out of all of my first makes that like I don't really wear and I don't gravitate towards because I either didn't end up really liking the pattern or, you know, how it came out or it's a wearable twall that, you know, ended up trash. So uh, I ended up cutting them up instead of turning them into other stuff because it was just, there were so many and it was like a pile and I turned them into scraps. So they are now filling scrap pillowcases that I made. And those will be inside poofs that I make for my friends who need poofs in their living rooms because I have enough. Well done. So yes, lots of in progress things. Are these uh, holiday gifts? No, actually what I also started was that, which is I think I'm going to rip off the Lululemon belt bag because I have this outdoor fabric that I had from making a cover. I also made a cover for storage Mm -hmm. on our deck and I had about a half yard extra because they only sold in full yards. So I was like, belt bags are so small. It's literally a rectangle with a zipper around the front. I can figure this out. So we are hacking that. I don't own this bag, but we are hacking it and figuring it out. That bag was everywhere all over Disney World and probably everywhere else. Everyone wears oh, it. Yeah. I'm like, that seems really simple. And I bet that was really expensive. Um, I asked about the holidays because we're recording in November. And I've already decided I'm not making shit for nobody. <laughs> I might not even buy anything for anybody because I'm just like, everyone in my life has what they need. And all of us are like, well, if we want something, we buy it. So I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to be doing anything for anyone <laughs> in the true holiday spirit. Yeah. Yay, capitalism, but also boo. Yeah, <laughs> capitalism. Yeah. And I think I have a com- I'm working through my feelings on this related to sewing and everything I do. But that is not the topic of the sewing podcast because we're here to talk about sewing. So this week, we are very excited to welcome Joe, who you might know as at Five Spice Power on Instagram. Joe is a digital content creator, label designer, and recently a pattern designer. Welcome, Joe. Hi. Hey, Joe. Hello. We ask our guests about their cultural background and if it influences their sewing process. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started sewing? I was thinking about this. I'm having to consider what this means a lot because of all these um, white men who keep asking me about my heritage. So I'll be like, hi. And they'll be like, are you from China? And it's like, you know, as a member of the diaspora in Southeast Asia, it's, it's complex. So you can't be like, yes, but also no. And I'm like, the time, because I remember the time that it really sort of like hit me, um, that this is actually quite a complex question was when I was at a crosswalk and then this guy from the opposite side of the crosswalk, like he makes this aggressive eye contact with me. And he was like, he, he like, he had the urge. He was like, Hey, I was like, Whoa, calm the fuck down. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. But like, 
That was an interesting question because I couldn't be like, yes, I am. Because I technically I am not. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you were literally at a crosswalk. I was. I was. I was literally. See, he would have come to me eventually. That was the thing that bothered me. He could have like walked across and like, hey, you know, but he he could not wait. But anyway, I mean, yeah, so it's <laughs> it would have taken much longer to explain that. Technically, yes, my people are from China, but that would have been like my mum's grandfather and my dad's parents. And like, yes, we do retain a lot of pride in our Chinese heritage. Like my parents both speak the dialects that of their, you know, families, I guess. Um, and we celebrate Chinese New Year and stuff like that, but we've fully evolved to have kind of like a culture of our own. So technically, yes, but also in a very real sense, no. Um, yeah. So that's me. You take that question with a lot of <laughs> like, uh, everyone reacts to it differently. And yours is a much kinder reaction than like mine is these days. I, I used to get it a lot. And I think podcast uh, listeners have heard me say like, I used to play it up and be like, well, you can have three guesses. And if not, if you don't guess it right, you'll buy me a drink. Like I used to do that. I was like, because you're not going to get it right. And then the older I got, the more I was, I got tired of the question. And so now anyone that says it and a lot, it's not, it, it's, it's typically white men, but it's not always. It's always white men. Yeah. And, but whoever says it, I'm like, where are you from? That's the question. I'm like, Chicago. And and I let them sit with it. I let them sit with the question. Like, and and they're like, oh, no, I mean, and I'm like, Chicago. So do you mean yeah. where my parents are from? Is that what like, you're I just <laughs> Because they're also yeah. from Chicago. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I just like. like I, just, I can keep going. Yeah. I, I, I take it very just like Chicago and let them figure out how they feel about the question that they just asked me um but maybe it's just because i'm like i don't know uh it's not that i'm mean but i guess i'm direct when i say it these days but um, <laughs> but i totally understand like that part about living in a diaspora you know for me in north america so how did you start sewing has it have you been sewing for a long time or is this a relatively new thing and again i think that's sort of like a yes and no thing so I started when I was maybe about 18 or 19, and that was with the simplest thing possible, which is a fully self-drafted brocade chunk sum. Of course. Um, of course. Everybody starts with that. <laughs> As one does. Um, and so I was like, you know, how hard could it be? It was very hard. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it, 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 it completely completely imploded as you as you would imagine that it did and I was like fuck this and then I just never sewed again but then I kept like I kind of kept the drive to sew so when I came over here which would have been um when did I come over here when I was about 22 probably and then I was at uni and I bought a sewing machine from one of the polytech students and I was like I've got it now and then I just brought it to every flat that I went to. So I moved islands. I took the <laughs> fucking machine with me. And I was like, I'm going to use this. And I never did. <laughs> and that was like fully, I think, maybe four or five years. Actually, I don't know timelines. But 
the time when I properly started like deep diving into sewing, I think is much the same as probably quite a lot of people, which is COVID. So the apocalypse hit. And then I was living by myself in this family's basement, actually. It was a really weird flat that I was living in. Like they lived upstairs and I lived in their basement and there was one window and it was in my bathroom. If you look at that explains a lot of your photos. <laughs> yes, it does, because it was the only place that I could get natural light. And so, like, any time you see one of my earlier photos, I'm in very close proximity to a toilet. <laughs> like, just think about that. <laughs> it's the magic of editing, though. We don't know. Um, the magic of editing. No, you don't. Um, but, yeah, so, um, you know, I was this basement goblin. I had no, like, no way of contacting the outside world. And I was like, oh, I got seven weeks. And so, yeah, kind of really took off from there. Okay, so can we rewind a little bit? Because you said you started with trying to sew a brocade. Drink oh, yeah. So how, I mean, I guess my question is, like, does your culture and identity, now that we've kind of established that it's complicated, does it inspire your sewing process? Does it inspire your creativity process? Does it, was that just a one-off? Are we still on that train? Like, We're where does the that train, kind of boy, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's right, son. If you can't see, if you're not watching on YouTube, would you like to just yeah. describe the collar of oh, what Jesus. your lovely garment? So what I'm wearing is a Cheongsam inspired dress. And it's based off the Cheongsam pattern done by Porcupine Patterns, which is a Singapore-based company. And I've done quite a few of these, actually. So it's just got the Mandarin collar. It's got the frog buttons. And it's also got like a little extra collary thing, which is what I'm wearing. It's so cute. I'm obsessed. Thank you. Thank you. So you live in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And can you tell us if your experience living there has in any way impacted your sewing? I wouldn't say it's impacted my sewing hugely because I did start sewing seriously here so all my sewing really has been done over here. I did want to kind of come back to that earlier question about culture and identity and it's because I don't actually speak Mandarin. I don't speak Mandarin. I don't speak any of the Chinese dialects fluently and so I actually do feel quite excluded from my culture. The thing about being I guess in these communities is that if you can't communicate, you can't participate. And so I've always felt kind of divorced from my culture, so as to speak. And so wearing this, you know, as I am and wearing chongsams and things like that, I almost, it's weird because I almost feel like I'm appropriating a little bit. It's a complex position to come from because, yes, I am ethnically Chinese, but I also don't feel hugely connected to my culture. And so when I'm sewing and wearing these Cheongsams, I guess, or these like Cheongsam inspired, like Chinese cultural clothing, I guess, I am I participating in the culture? I guess is, 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 you know, is what comes to mind. But the thing about clothing as well is that it's an art form in which people observing it can infer something of your identity. And so it makes me kind of like hesitate also because then are people going to expect me to speak Chinese to them? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, so I do have quite a lot of complex feelings around 
exploring being Chinese through my art. And I would think that there's a lot more work to be done for me at any rate at this stage. Thank you for backing up and bringing us back to that question. I think the way that you are being so introspective is something that I can say at least most of us, like all of us on the call have thought about with ourselves. And I've said this to lots of people in lots of different contexts, but you know, you are Chinese enough. I am Filipino enough. My best friend is Mexican Mm -hmm. enough. And I think that something that I used to, I used to feel the same kind of disconnect as you do with my Philippine heritage. Um, My parents were born in the Philippines. Um, I was born in the United States. I don't speak Tagalog. My Spanish is much better than my Tagalog. I just texted my mom how to say something in Tagalog because my work wants me to record a short video of me saying it. And I'm like, I don't know how to say that. Like, I I, I understand it, but like, oh, <laughs> no. I work at a nonprofit. And so they want to, you know, have various members of staff, you know, in languages that are spoken and with that clients speak, you know, say thank you. But I was just texting my mom and, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have a connection to the language. I don't know anything about my dad's dialect, which is Ilocano. So it's different from a more commonly spoken Tagalog. I don't understand it at all, like zero. And there's a little bit of, for me, shame in that. Um, there doesn't need to be. And I, 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 I say it a little bit because it used to be a lot more. And now it's just like a little bit of a wistfulness about wishing that I knew a little bit more, but not feeling like I'm any less of uh, connected to the roots of my family because of that. I think, I can't speak for anyone else, but I think there are probably people in our lives that are like, you are, you're, oh, you're not, you know, you're so Americanized. I'm like, I I am American. (laughs) like, Or because I don't speak it or um, either Tagalog or um, Ilocano. And I think that the older I get, the more I realize it's sort of a their problem with regard to who I am. It has nothing, you know, what they think about, you know, my Asian-ness, quote unquote, has nothing to do with whether I am Filipino enough, so to speak. And I think that yours is a is something that many people have, you know, who are in a diaspora have thought about themselves and what I'm trying to get at is, is that I, I hear you and I get, I get exactly what you mean. And for me, I felt the same way about when I started to become interested in learning how to make like turno sleeves and turno outfits. And I was like, why am I making this? When am I going to wear it? You know, like people are going to think X, Y, Z about me. And then like the, the more sort of, uh, the more I enjoyed the process and just how the process made me feel more connected to my heritage, the less I the less fucks I gave about what other people think. I was like, I'm just going to wear it, you know? Um, so thank you for sharing, you know, your thoughts on that. I just wanted to respond in, in a very long-winded way and say, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Gosh, our producer just made some finger hearts, which Aww. agree. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also, I guess like I am technically part of the same diaspora, I guess. Yeah. Like if you talk about like, Technically, I guess ethnically Han Chinese, but like if you look at my family tree, like okay, geopolitics aside, and the like, you know, when I was little and I would say I'm Taiwanese, people would then be like, "That's part of China," and then I would have to like comprehend that and like oh, process that as like a five year old. Yeah. So, like you know, working through all that now uh, nowadays, when I say that, I don't have to say that because 
Taiwan is unfortunately in the news a lot, um, at least yep. Western media, you know, <laughs> and I'm not going to go into that right now, but like, it's kind of like ethnically, yes. But then if you think about the history of how the country was formed, it's like not a very old culture or country, but then there were people coming over for hundreds of years. So half of my family is like, you know, from a couple hundred years back moved over. And so they're so deeply ingrained in like, at what point does it become its own either like separate or subculture? And then on the other side, like they came over with the revolution. So like, what does that mean? And how does that, it's just like all very interesting. I think once you filter out to like all this stuff happened way, way before I even existed or was a thought in anyone's mind. And then two separate humans decided to move halfway across the world. They met and then they had me. <laughs> now Morse. I have to deal with this. <laughs> like, thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, thanks. No, like, uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. Mm, mm. And I think there's a lot of, how should I put this? Like, there's a feeling of not being enough and not being worthy, really, if you're not participating in the culture as much as you should, quote unquote, because then, you know, you get that feeling like, am I then just trying to increase my proximity to whiteness? Am I trying, you know, am I a race trader? You know what I mean? Like, what, at what point, you know, should I, should I just constantly, because I, I, I had that thought when it was Chinese New Year and we were, um, I went with my white partner to a Chinese restaurant and I was sitting between all these Chinese families and in front of us, there was this like Chinese family. It was like two, you know, people our age and they had three little Chinese babies. And, you know, it was, I was like, oh, am I looking into a parallel life? Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, Like, is that who I should be? Um, and here's me, like, I don't speak any kind of like dialect fluently enough. And I'm sitting with my white partner ordering in English from the menu surrounded by all these people. And I was, um, it was terrible. Like I cried and then I'm like, and then everyone thought he was Uh breaking up with me. For breaking up with her on Chinese New Year, do you not even? <laughs> um, and I was like, no, 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 we're fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was so much to kind of unpack in that one moment. And I don't often like think about that sort of thing, but it came on very strongly at that moment. Like, what am I doing? You know, who am I, and what am I doing with my life? And I think I'm just going to continue to ask this question. I, I think I remember you talking you know. about this in a post or maybe in a story. And um, what kind of responses did yeah. you get to it? Very kind responses. A lot of people were like, yeah, these are big feelings and complex feelings. And you're not expected to know everything about how you are. And just, again, you know, the internet is a terrifying and very bad place but (laughs) I've been continually surprised by the kindness of strangers I had a lot of very kind people both from people who were specifically like Malaysians and Singaporeans who are overseas 
in saying that, you know, it's fine, it's fine. Like, you know, be of your feelings. It's okay. These are really valid things to be thinking and feeling at the same time. And, you know, it might also be homesickness that you're feeling, like amplifying all of that. But also like people who are, you know, not of color, like white people, um, being like, I don't, you know, I haven't ever felt this way, but I recognize that this is important to you. And I was like, oh, thanks, people on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was, yeah, that was nice. Sometimes the sewing Instagram surprises me. I mean, a lot of times it doesn't, and it's very disappointing <laughs> and kind of a dumpster fire. But sometimes it does surprise me and kind of give, give me that boost in those moments and makes me feel a lot better. And so with that, I kind of do want to talk about your style a bit because your style is... I don't know if you would describe it this way, but I would say very fun. There's a lot of colors. There's a lot of different materials. It is possibly what I would describe as the polar opposite of my own style. <laughs> and you said in the last Tauco magazine, uh, which came out a few weeks ago, at the point of when this releases, um, there might be another one. So go back and look for Joe's episode or Joe's, what's what's the episode edition? Edition? <laughs> magazine? Uh, edition? Uh, yeah. Release edition. issue. It Uh, Go back and look for Joe's issue. What are words? (laughs) Joe, what is your issue? Yeah, what are words? Is it issue four? Is it issue five? (laughs) What 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 are what isn't my issue? Um we will have a link in our show notes to the correct issue, but you said (laughs) life is a brief unstoppable hurdle into the void, and all things should be accordingly be as joyous, stupid, and fun as possible. So with that being said, and Koss has flashed that it is number five and you have a physical copy of it, reminder, you can buy a physical copy and support Joe's work. Um, How would you describe your style? How I would describe my style is by what the things that it's not. So (laughs) I dress, do you know what I mean? Like I dress as a character and the character is me. So... I find a lot of times when people talk about style, again, I, I think it kind of comes back to what we we're talking about just now, that style is quite often seen as a way of communication and, and like emblematic of your identity. And, you know, you dress a certain way to indicate that you value a particular aesthetic or like you belong to a particular culture. And it's not just like cultural wear, it's things like luxury goods. So luxury goods are indicators of your personal wealth or that at least that you aspire towards wealth and you value these things and like you know um what's the boy like heteronormative dressing that indicates that you ascribe to the gender binary and so you can see like it's it's quite a nuanced kind of but also quite problematic thing that you're seen as trying to communicate but you're really not if that makes sense because for me I dress the way that I feel most comfortable. And so kind of going back to the whole like gender thing, like I had a point in my life when I was like, ladies got bitties. And so I shall get a push-up bra. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yeah, I was like dressing in this way that was like emphasizing the contours of my body. And that didn't that felt quite performative to me. And I was like, ooh, does that mean that I'm trans you know and then so for a little while I presented very masculinely like cut my hair off and I was like you know like 
button-ups and things like that. And again, it felt very performative also. And at this point, I was like, I'm dressing to fit into a box, whether it's one box or another box. And it didn't make sense to try and perform to other people's expectations. And so I guess coming back to what you were trying, you know, (laughs) in a very long-winded way to what you ask off me is that I would say it's dopamine dressing. Um, oh, I like which that. Is a, you know, that, but that's the trend, you know, the 2022's hottest new trend, <laughs> dopamine dressing. I fucking hate it because it was like, it, it's quite often portrayed as like maximalism or like flamboyance and like wearing bright colors and things like that. But what it really means is just wearing stuff that you like. So you wear stuff that you like and it makes you happy. Um, so what you're doing is sort of like deliberately curating your external influences for your own personal gratification. And that's how I would describe my style. Love it. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. So it's not a particular thing. You know, it's not a particular subculture. It's just I dress as a character and the character is me. I love that. I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. Thanks. Hey, podcast listeners, looking for a way to support the Asian Solace Collective? Well, we have a great way for you to do that now, and we are excited to announce our first set of merch. We've launched a limited edition set of woven labels on our coffee page, so ko-fi.com slash Asian Solace Collective, and you can get a pack of five woven labels custom designed by our very own producer, Mariko, with some cute sayings from seasons one through three, like this was a panic sew, forgot to pre-wash, or made with fabric purchased while traveling. And they all have really cute designs on them that you should definitely go check out on our Instagram and on our coffee page. And to get your very own set of five labels, you'll be supporting the podcast and helping us bring you new content and new guests week after week. So head to ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective. So you talked a little bit about, you know, the evolution of your your style or your character. And do you think that when you picked up sewing again, that this influenced the way that you saw yourself? Like, did your outward expression of uh, what you put on your body, like, change with sewing? Or did it free you, uh, you know, from, from all the things that ready-to-wear uh, has to offer? I think so in a little way. I think that it enabled me to make things closer to my vision and I guess in a length <laughs> proportional in a length proportional to my body. But yeah, I was always finding things that I liked before anyway and sort of like trying to make them work. But yeah, no, sewing has been quite helpful. I think the way that sewing has really helped me is that in terms of like ready to wear is that it's made me really comfortable with my body in the sense that I suffered for many years with eating disorders and you know, all that fun sort of thing. Like you're, you're like heavily socialized to be like, you should be this big. And when you turn sideways, nobody should see you. Except if you have bitties, then you should be seeing this way and that way. And so it, it frustrated me for a long time that I couldn't be the smallest size in the store or things like that. And it, it was just really unhealthy and stuff. And then so learning how to sew makes me view myself more as a collection of measurements and these measurements can change and that is also okay it's frustrating because it means I have to change my block but 
otherwise, it's been really, really healthy. And I have a much healthier relationship with food and my body and stuff like that. And so it's been good, I would say. I don't think that quite answered the question, but, you know. No, I think I think it did. You know, your sewing practice influenced the way, like, your outward expression and also how you see yourself influences that as well. Like, I think that was also one of the big revelations when I started sewing clothing for my body is that mm-hmm. I like how you put it. I, I, you know, I'm just a collection of measurements. So we said, like, I like that, not a size, you know, not, not a length, but just a collection of measurements that can change over time. And that has really led me to be more comfortable with my body and less tolerant of like, brands that only go to an XL but they don't fit me like that type of stuff oh genuinely and like it's so interesting going shopping with people who don't sew oh yeah yeah and you're like oh, and they're like oh no I can't fit this pants go a size bigger they've made it too fucking small you know it's not about you not being able to fit into the size it's that they're not making the size for you yeah yeah it's it's very interesting, actually, but it's also one of the reasons why I don't really buy ready-to-wear much, if at all, at this point. I had a similar conversation with the friend that I was teaching how to sew when she was visiting because she, like our whole friendship, she's just been on the larger end. And right now she's kind of found her few go-to brands that have the sizes that fit her. And she made a comment while we were sewing that I didn't correct at the time, but I feel like I need to tell her now, which was um, now that I've had time to reflect, she was like, oh, I love this, that I can just take the tape measure, measure how big my chest is, and then put that from the pattern to the paper to the like cutting of the fabric. And then it is me, like it is sized for me. And I was like, I didn't want to be like, And we've picked the most inclusive patterns here because some of the patterns that I have are shitty and don't go to your size. But like, I do have to tell her before she dives right in and is like sorely disappointed. But like, I do think there is something to be said because we had a lot of conversations about like body image and size and how a lot of disordered eating comes from a lot of just society and and shitty things that people say to us and shitty things that doctors say to us even. Oh God, yeah. So yeah, tangentially, I I think it falls on, on everybody to kind of like be as introspective. So I appreciate you for sharing so much Aww. of yourself. Um, oh, you. I am curious now that you're like, I dress for the character that I am, which is me. Are you a fabric first person or a pattern first? Like when you are mm. making something, mm-hmm. how, like, what's your process? Do you choose a fabric first? Do you pull a bolt at the fabric store? Do you look at a pattern and say, I want to hack that or look at your block and say, I'm going to draw? Like, what is it? <laughs> oh, it's a really hard one. Um, I, I think it definitely changes from time to time. Like I will get the urge to kind of make something. Do you know what I mean? And I'll just yeah. think about that one thing all the time. Like, consistently and I'm like oh I could make that in this fabric and I could make it in that fabric and but sometimes it's also like just being obsessed with a particular type of fabric as well so I would say both but not always at the same time so like at this point in time I'm really really obsessed with rayon 
That's a good, I mean, that's a healthy obsession to have. Very <laughs> nice fabric. Perhaps just not healthy for your wallet or your storage space. I don't know. No, no. Oh, so I don't want to muck around with my camera or anything like that. But at this point in time, where I'm at, like I've got these plastic bins and they go up to my chest. Oh my gosh. I know it's terrible. It's so bad. It's, and I'm like, I'm like, I've got plans for that and I've got plans for that, <laughs> like, you know, but I just, I remember I, I was listening to a podcast that episode that you guys had made. And I think you said something like, I always have more plans than time. And that's, Accurate. I think that's exactly how it is. So I'm going to dig, I've been digging through that, trying to find like sort of thin drapey fabric like rayon, basically, because I've got all these plans for them now. So I will point yeah. out that you live in the opposite climates, hemispheres. What are yes, words today? Diff- what are so words? it's summer for you? Yes. So this but makes it's sense. It's not quite summer. Like I've got three layers on. I've also got a pair of pants on. I'll, let me see if I can stick my leg up. Oh, fun. There we go. That's my leg. Oh yeah, it is summer in Auckland. Actually, sorry. This is going to sound very weird to people listening to the podcast. <laughs> I will point out that Kasi is on this call that we're recording the podcast on, and that's why we have the context of different places in New Zealand and the weather. <laughs> and I'm just pointing it out because yeah. I am literally wearing like the thickest sweater. It's uh, probably low teens to freezing, so zero degrees Celsius for everybody who's not in America. Oh, wow. And and it's just it's cold. I mean, I live like basically in the Dang. base of a mountain. Chicago mountain. today was seventy five degrees. I heard I don't know and what I that is you. in Celsius. I am sorry. It is twenty. It's yeah, about like, like sixteen seventeen. That was warm. It's sixteen seventeen, <laughs> maybe eighteen. It's very temperate yeah, and nice. It's supposed to drop, but oh, no. that is nice. So I'm jealous of your rayon is like the TLDR of all of that. Like I would love to be sewing some rayon right now. I'm pretty excited to see what you come up with with your many, many ideas once you find what you're looking for. And your Instagram photos, they look so great. Like very stylized and editorial. I know you told us a little bit about where you shot most of the early ones. Um, But for me, like what you see on Instagram is definitely like not what you see every day. I'm wearing... A running long sleeve shirt right now for reasons that the pre call discussion that we had. I'm like wearing my glasses. This is me all the time. Like, is the Joe of your grid the Joe of the world? Like, out there at the grocery store and different places? Yes and no. So, four days a week from nine to seven o'clock, I'm in scrubs. So (laughs) not really, but on my off days, I guess so, because these are just my clothes, you know, I'm not, okay, I will preface this and say, like, if you go in my grid, there is a make I've made with like a balaclava (laughs) with a crown on it. And I'm not wearing that to go and buy eggs. (laughs) You could though. I could, I could, like the, there's another one I've made. Um, it's like a hat and it's got little horns on it. I wore that to a barbecue. It was fun. It was great. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yes, 
but broadly, I like broadly is actually, yeah, you know, like I get bored with stuff really easily. So <laughs> I like, couldn't tell by the frequency of your posts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, um, I'm quite often wearing what I've just made. I wouldn't probably wear everything in a set together. True. <laughs> I can see that being problematic. Yeah. I think you'd just um, be very warm. <laughs> I would. <laughs> well, it does get cold, but do you know what I mean? Like, I probably, like, there's one I made quite recently that's like a four-piece set, and it makes me look like a, like a character from an anime about racing. Sounds fast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you're you telling me you look like you're going fast. I'm going fast. <laughs> but, so I've worn all the individual pieces and they work with other bits of my wardrobe, but I wouldn't wear them all together because I don't want to be asked if I'm going to a convention. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I don't go fast. Um, but yes. And you recently, tangential to sewing, or I guess like mm. directly related to sewing, you also created oh. a label company. So congratulations. Yes. Can you tell us like where, like where did the idea come from and what prompted starting the label company? It was like equal parts amusement and naivete. (laughs) So I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then I was like, ah, fuck, it's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Is that every entrepreneur's like thought process? Pretty much, pretty well. <laughs> okay, but we have to give the listeners context. You heard the plug earlier, like buy our labels, support the podcast. But let me buy tell you, this. we ordered the labels and then we shipped them to me, the only person on the pod with direct, like the amount of volume e commerce like experience that someone needs. And I just sat on my living room floor putting one of each type of label into the little tiny, and they're like annoying the little compostable cellophane packs and then having to like clip them and then make sure they stayed in there and then counting things like so naivete <laughs> for sure <laughs> i can't feel you <laughs> so let me put that into context i do all the packing myself i do all the like so everything you know i do and so when i launched i think it would have been june probably when i launched everything properly for the first time i had done about 300 of the jumbo melter packs which have I think 16 different little labels and then I had to use these tweezers which I stole from work (laughs) um to pack them individually into things and it takes a long time you know like you've got to put these little guys into the little bags and then actually, because I'm in the middle of packing stuff now, because I don't know why I don't plan these things very well. So I was like, let me drop my labels on Saturday. I guess whenever this thing airs, it will definitely be like, well, well, you know, well away. But yeah, so I've got these packed up and then I've got to kind of take the little label, the little sticky bit off and stick that down. And that I think from beginning to end will probably be about an hour for. 50 packs and yep yep so there's quite at this point in time i think when i first 
started it. I think there were like 16 or so different packs that I had, and I had about 50 of each. So a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, so I feel yeah, is what I was trying to say. Um, Yeah. How are you doing it without tweezers? That's the other thing I wanted to ask you. I It never occurred to me to get tweezers. <laughs> I'm now going to steal my extra. <laughs> I have the tweezers, you know, the serger tweezers or the like overlocker, the ones that come with your... Oh, yes, yes, non- yeah. So, yeah, the like, bendy ones. You could ones. have done this without pity larceny, <laughs> which, is, which is what you're trying to say. <laughs> uh, it's my understanding that if you work in a healthcare facility, you're always committing petty larceny in the forms of band-aids and <laughs> pens and... <laughs> Everybody steals pens from every office. That's not a healthcare Every, Everybody. Yeah, actually, that is very true. <laughs> Growing up, all my pens had like uh, the pharmacy, pharmaceutical name. I feel like I talked about this in a previous episode recently, but like, like all the names of the drugs that the people were coming to sell. And like, all I wanted was a plain old Bic. All I wanted was like a plain pen. But I had all those hospital pens. For my- it's okay. She's retired. She can't get in trouble. excellent so to i not quite tangentially but so growing up um this is in malaysia so we didn't have a heat pump we had air conditioning right and it has those little slats that go up and down and sometimes if they break then they go and kind of like hang down so my dad would use expired material expired filling material to fix them so we had all these That's kind of genius. He's a smart man, you know? (laughs) Like every air conditioner in our house is these like little tooth colored knobs of stuff, (laughs) like propping them up. It's great. God bless him. Our families taught us to be uh, resourceful. Resourceful. Thank you. I was going to, words again, right? Almost foiled me. But thank you for that. I, I really love. We do. we do speak English. Thank you. I really love the Prosperity Multipack um, the, with labels oh, like too. I Love You, Like Cut Fruit, and Congee. And my favorite one is the one that makes me think of my grandma, where it says, I just, I pulled it up because I remember laughing about it. It says, Aya, wear so nice for what? Like, I just want to tell you, so, so my, you know, my grandma, one of my grandmas, like, you know, they're, well, they're both Filipino and I grew up with them in the house. And I had house clothes, which were just like sweatpants. But if I was wearing jeans or something, you know, or something like nicer, she'd be like, are you going somewhere? Where are you going? Why are you dressed like that? And I'm just like, <laughs> I'll go put on my house clothes then. Yeah, so exactly. Nice for huh? <laughs> so that one, like, yeah. For who to Where see? are you going? <laughs> so it, just, it just makes me laugh. And, you know, uh, the, this particular pack, you know, references your heritage and surely a lot of our listeners can relate to them. And, you know, you sometimes talk about the disconnect of having like a strict Asian upbringing and family and being out here, like having fun with bright colors and selling fun things. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? That's an interesting question. I'm glad you asked it. I think this whole disconnect with the strictness of the family, I'm sorry, I'm just putting my tweezers down for a hot second, but you know, um, <laughs> I will put them back at work. All right, but <laughs> no one from work is going to be listen to this and be like, "Joe's has <laughs> stolen a pair of tweezers. We need to get them back." <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, going back to that, um, the disconnect of the whole, 
you know, Asian family upbringing and then out here having fun. I think there's a real danger of getting into this reductive mindset, which is quite childlike almost, of seeing your parents as these overarching oppressors and the source of all your trauma. And it really kind of like grossly oversimplifies this quite nuanced relationship between a parent and a child. And, you know, just seeing them as these really strict and non-communicative individuals doesn't really allow them to be like flawed human beings with room for growth and change. And I did kind of view them in that way for a little while. But yeah, like the disconnect for me really in not talking to my parents about what I do is that partly that, but also that they would laugh at me. So the thing about, you got to know about my parents is that they're best mates. So, you know, they're just their own little thing. They're like best friends and like, they're just, it's just two of them against the world. And they always like make fun of everyone else, which is adorable. You know, it's really adorable as an adult. It's really traumatic as a child. <laughs> you know, like, why is mom laughing at me? You know what I mean? And so I would be really, um, I would be quite like worried about showing them things that I had made or things that I had done because I didn't want them like making fun of me or like telling me that I couldn't do things and or whatever. And so again, I think it, as as you grow up, you don't quite, you know, your perception of your parents doesn't quite grow with you. And I've recently had some pretty good progress with that because my brother's been really encouraging me to tell my parents more about the things that I'm doing and what I'm you know how I am and I've always been like oh no they wouldn't understand it wouldn't be you know what's the point you know like unless it's work related or success related or like um things like that they wouldn't be able to engage with me or in, in in any capacity and again just recognizing that's actually quite a reductive way of thinking has really helped my relationship with them because I've been in recent times again quite pleasantly surprised with that. They've done sort of a complete 360 from oh no, 360 means <laughs> yes. they've come back to it again. <laughs> they've done a 180 um to what I thought they would say or do, which is they're incredibly supportive. You're like, oh, you should, although it, it, it does become into that sort of other predictable response when pe you tell people that you can make things, which is you should make me something. And it's like, no, dog, I can't make things for myself. I don't have time to make stuff for That's you. That's my response, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a question that I've grappled with for a little while that, you know, the idea that you can't be creative and also have an open relationship with your parents. But that's nonsense, because of course you can. But there's work that needs to be done on both sides. My mom surprised me in a similar way, too. I think, um, you know, hmm. I, I, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I know I was one of those weird kids. And I am one. And ah. that's sort of something that yeah. has been, you know, people are really proud of, even though not everybody really understands what I do with my law license. But she surprised me when I made her something to wear and she wore it. We wore it. It was like from scraps from a jumpsuit that I made. And I was like, oh, there's enough here, mom. I'll make you a shirt. And I made and we ended up wearing it to the same event. It was like a memorial service. 
uh, how proud she was to tell everyone that I had made her shirt. I, I was like, I don't. Yeah, I, I just it was bit. unexpected, and I think I would have fe- I would have felt the same way. Like she's not going to come up to me and say, "What you are making is really nice. I'm really proud of you." You know, she's going to cut fruit and tell people that her daughter made this. You know, like so, and that is part of my evolution as an adult. Is like you said, better understanding, you know, where our parents come from. You know, accepting that, yeah, maybe like it's okay to wish that things were different when they happen, but to doesn't mean that you don't love mm. you can't like continue to love and respect you know your parents exactly i've never heard exactly. I've, that's like the most proud i've ever like actually heard her i know she's proud of me but like i don't think i've ever heard her brag about me ever except for like when i made her a shirt so it's just a nice surprise and again like if i had not sort of opened myself up to involving her in that you know then who knows i may not have seen that side yeah, mm-hmm. like when my in-laws came to visit and meet my mom, like they met my mom for the first time and we we had already been engaged and we'd been together for a while and my mom and I don't have the best relationship. It's we're working on it. Um I am working on it. She but she knew that I was like sewing cuz she was just like, "Well, you made me this like robe thing and then you made me all these like head scarfy things, so like you can clearly do the thing." And so they brought it up to my in-laws and my in-laws I think like knew that I had a sewing machine, but didn't know how prolific I had been. So they yeah. were like, they were in our house. So they were like, go get everything you've made. So then I come down with like an You're arm like, full, <laughs> literally <laughs> of all these hangers. Oh my and my God. mom's going through them and she's like, you know, I should really tell your aunt, like her oldest sister that you're sewing. I should send her some pictures. And I was like, I didn't want to be like, yeah, there are lots of photos online already. I have a whole Instagram for this. She actually, she's like, yeah, I should, I should send it to your oldest aunt. And then my mother-in-law was like, oh, why? And it's because my oldest aunt who retired early and is definitely like the coolest aunt on that side. Nice. I know that none of my extended relatives or cousins will be listening to this and then tell anybody that I said this because otherwise that would start <laughs> some shit. But she's definitely, <laughs> definitively the coolest aunt. And she's single, no, not married, no kids, had a dog. And she used to be a buyer for ready to wear it for a giant um japanese department store in taiwan so she like always has the best fashion um of all the aunts and so to have my that was like as close as we were gonna get to like you've made some cool stuff it was i'm gonna tell your aunt (laughs) oh wow it that is interesting it's like the kind of weird backhanded compliment that you don't really realize the value of until you're like, whoa, you know, you're going to tell your aunt. <laughs> Jen Hewitt had the same similar or had a similar thing with her mom when we were talking to her on the Stitch Please podcast. And I was like, what is it with perhaps it's like a generational thing? Like, what is it with the moms and not giving you just a, a direct comment? I don't know. Maybe it's also like a we grew like where we grew up in like the context of comments and and whatnot but anyways i've always thought it was more like you know how asian society is very collectivist and you can't like single out an individual so you can't be Uh like you're great it's like i'm gonna tell someone about you you know what i mean like i will make it known within our community that 
you are slightly more outstanding than other people are. Um, I don't know. This my thoughts. Or perhaps if you flip it, the Western like individualist, where perhaps if you grow up with that mindset of like, I must be praised directly for being such a special individual. Where is my praise for being a special individual? (laughs) Well, you are special and also different. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, back to being different and the tweezers. I do have a like practical question here. Do you have advice for people who want to start a small business just for fun, like you did? Besides the tweezers part. So don't steal from your workplace. That's the first thing. But do print your patterns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's not stealing. That's just printing, right? That's true. I would say that expect a lot more time than you thought that you were going to be putting into it. The other thing is that it's a real commitment to a long-term thing, unless you kind of do the kind of business where it's just like you do one big drop and then you never do it again. Then, yeah, but like the way with my label thing, people would just find it and buy stuff online and then I'll get an email being like, hey, someone's bought your labels. And I'm like, ah, fuck, I've got to, got to pack doing things. And quite often when you're starting the thing, you don't quite realize that you will then get busy with your other you know, parts of your life and then it becomes another responsibility in the list of responsibilities that you already have. And so, yeah, it's it's a much larger commitment than you would initially think. I guess it's one. And the other thing also is that you should really read up about, like, I guess stuff like taxes. <laughs> I talked to my accountant and I was like, I make more money. And he was like, oh, who are you selling to? And I was like, Anna. <laughs> because he was like there's different taxes that you pay if you like if you sell to people overseas or you sell to people within new zealand it changes things and like what are your overheads like why are you spending this much money i'm like i make things (laughs) (laughs) and so it's like as a creative when you start a creative business you're often just thinking about your product and there's a lot of things that go into starting a business that are more than just a product like you've got to do all this work around marketing you've got to do all this work around like the admin side of things and like figuring out how not to be a criminal um which apparently is very easy if you (laughs) (laughs) like um i think if you sell like that's why i don't ship things to germany because there's some weird law about shipping to germany where you've got to register with something and i don't know what that is and i don't want to find out so I'm sorry, German people who listen to this podcast and also the Venn diagram of people who are in Germany, listen to this podcast, want to buy a label, like where you are in that little triangle in the middle, I'm very sorry. But <laughs> you to a friend in a different country nearby and have them mail something to you. That's how people have done it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I guess. Broadly, to summarize, it's a lot of work. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) All I have to say, agreed. (laughs) Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Joe. I had a really great time getting to know you. Can you remind our listeners where they can find you? Um, So you can find me only on Instagram, 
in that is at five spice power. So that's like five spice powder, which a lot of people seem to like tag the spice a lot. (laughs) 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 So they'll be like, because I can see when you've shared my photo and then they'll be like, I love this, I love this dress by five spice powder. It's like, like, thank you, but also. (laughs) It's funny. The handle is funny. Five spice power, not powder. (laughs) No, but it's like you've tagged the spice, but that's fine. Um, anyway, so it's five spice power without the D. And where can we buy your labels? You can buy my labels also on Instagram. It's inside voices labels. And I think the website, again, this is, you know, y'all don't start a business if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, Okay. Insidevoiceslabels.com is where you can find them. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Asian Sewers Collective Podcast. If you like our show, please consider supporting us on Coffee by becoming a one-time or monthly supporter, or new this season, buying our stickers and our very funny sewing labels. Your financial support helps us with overhead expenses and will allow us to give back to our all-volunteer team, who work super hard to provide you with new content each week. The link to our coffee page is ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective, and you can find the link in our show notes, on our website, and on our Instagram account. Check us out on Instagram at Asian Sewist Collective. That's one word, Asian Sewist Collective. And you can help us out by spreading the word and telling your friends. We would also appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of the links and resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes on our website. That's AsianSewistCollective.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your questions, comments, or even voice messages if you want to be featured on a future episode at AsianSewistCollective at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by your co-hosts, Ada Chen and Nicole Angeline. Produced by Kosuma Kernem. And edited by Shailin Joy. And Henry Wong. With marketing support by Ada Chen and Kosuma Kernem. Thank you so much to the other members of our collective who made this week's episode a reality. This is the Asian Sewist Collective Podcast, and we'll see you next week.